Chapter Fourteen of Recollections of Imperial Russia by Muriel Buchanan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Religion, Mysticism, Melody, and Color. So the memories of Russia pass and fade away. The romances and tragedies of her history, the great figures of those men who governed her, sometimes with justice, sometimes with brutal harshness the fire of women's jewels laughter and tears the refrain of the constant clash of arms that runs through all her legends the haunting sadness of the songs the peasants sing the flying figures of wild horsemen across the plains the swing of dancing feet the ringing of church bells the cathedrals of the kremlin little white churches with blue and green and silver roofs mystery and incomprehensible charm wooden chapels in the villages with crudely painted star-covered domes wayside shrines where pitying madonnas and gentle-eyed saints look out with infinite compassion on the passing crowds yellow trams that shriek and rattle long lines of carts with struggling horses and swearing drivers little isvotchiks with small shaggy ponies and bearded coachmen following the hurrying passers-by let me drive you baron we'll go like the wind with my little horse look at him and see if he is not nice and fat i'll take you anywhere you like for fifty kopecks eh now i'm a poor man but i'll drive you right down the nevskia for twenty hard-faced men women with hopeless eyes laughing children maudricks in bright-coloured shirts officers in grey overcoats they pass on intent on their thoughts and their own individual tragedies and the saint in the wayside shrine looks out at them in gentle sympathy from amidst the flickering candles the religion of the people is so intimately part of their everyday lives that though one may smile a little sceptically at much that is superstitious and childish credulity one cannot help at the same time being stirred to wonder almost to envy thus in every room of a russian house an icon is placed high up on the wall facing the door and every one is supposed to salute the holy image both on entering the room and before and after a meal as soon as a baby is born a priest is called in to pray over it when it is eight days old he comes again to hold it up before the icon of the virgin and to give it a christian name then after forty days the official christening takes place in church the priest makes the sign of the cross above the baby and carries it in his arms up to the doors of the iconostas several times when we were in russia i went to weddings strange ceremonies still retaining a certain byzantine half-oriental atmosphere at their betrothal the couple present two rings to the priest who places them before the altar and after the benediction returns them to their owners who then exchange them in sign that they may bestow on each other all their worldly goods for the actual wedding the bride and bridegroom are led by the priest into the church and after solemnly renewing their betrothal promises stand holding lighted candles while behind each of them a long line of pages takes it in turn to hold two richly jewelled crowns over their heads symbols of virtue triumphing over the passions then the priest after once more exhorting them to faithfulness patience and affection presents them with the chalice and after joining their hands together leads them three times round the church it was believed that whoever first set foot on the carpet specially laid down should be the ruler of the household and i well remember a radiant young bride and bridegroom in spite of the solemnity of the occasion making an undignified rush 
the bride just managing to place her white satin slipper one inch before the bridegroom's heavy cavalry boot at the same time turning her head to laugh triumphantly at a group of her girlfriends had she not told them that she was going to rule nikita with a rod of iron and do exactly as she pleased in all things but this time the prophecy proved very incorrect for nikita was a stern if a very loving husband and always the absolute master till he was struck down by a german bullet at tannenberg while that laughing young bride summoned to the hospital where he lay dying arrived only just in time to kiss his stiffening lips afterwards she devoted her whole life to the nursing of wounded soldiers was arrested by the bolsheviks on the charge of counter-revolutionary sympathies and died of starvation in prison i have often heard people say that russian funerals give them more belief in resurrection and eternity than those of any other church the constant prayers read over the body the wonderful singing of the final service the gleaming candles which are held by all the congregation in sign that the soul of the departed has left the shadows of this world for the ineffable radiance of the true light the open coffin with the face of the dead turned to the east as if he still joined in the prayers of his friends the custom that all related should after the service kiss the cold forehead in a last farewell all this perhaps makes the dead person still seem part of the living world going on a journey accompanied by the prayers of his friends but that last kiss is a terrible ordeal and i have seen widows break down in complete abandonment mothers carried fainting away the altar in russian churches is hidden by the iconostas or rude screen which holds three doors the centre of which is called the royal door and only opened on rare occasions during the service and behind the sanctuary of these doors no layman was allowed to pass save the tsar at the moment of his coronation or if he wished to place an offering on the altar the domes that surmount the churches represent our lord in the centre and the smaller domes either the four evangelists or when there are twelve of them the twelve apostles while the cupolas of odd shapes that surmount them signify the flames of candles burning before the divine majesty the ringing of church bells is said to frighten away the devil and one can imagine satan having had a very bad time in petersburg or moscow where the air seemed constantly to echo to the jubilant music of bells many other services in russian churches come back to me the first sunday in lent called anathema sunday when the priest solemnly curses the memory of all rebels such as the false dmitri stenkaratsin or emil pugachev the midnight service on easter eve when the churches and squares and streets outside were thronged with worshippers all holding little flickering candles when the long rows of easter cakes were blessed and at midnight the priest opened the great doors announcing in a joyful voice to those who waited he is risen whereupon all the bells in the city broke into clamorous jubilation the cannons thundered from the fortress and the people turned to kiss each other with the words he has risen indeed vespers in a little village church an old priest in a red and silver cope raising his trembling hands in supplication before the gilt doors of the iconostas men in blue yellow red or green shirts standing amidst the shadows ragged children clinging to the skirts of women with shawls or brightly colored handkerchiefs over their heads and through the open window the singing of a nightingale the distant music of a concertina 
or else an official service in the kazan cathedral of petersburg attended by dignitaries of the court members of the imperial family and diplomatic body the flickering haze of candles the drifting blue mist of incense a low subdued murmur like the whisper of a distant sea the shifting brilliance of uniforms and jewelled decorations the perfume of scent and powder mingling with the smell of incense and melting wax and then as the royal doors of the iconostas swung open the voice of the priest chanting in the sudden breathless hush glory to the holy trinity one indivisible to-day to-morrow to all eternity slowly the old man with his white beard his golden crown and heavy brocaded robes comes down into the church while the deacon with his full black beard and robe of olive green precedes him swinging the incense and the voices of the choir like voices coming from some far unseen distant paradise break out into the hundred and fourth psalm the great doors of the iconostas close in symbol of the punishment of man who disobeyed the commands of god and was exiled from paradise till later in the service they open again for the priest to come out once more and stand in silent prayer and this time the opening of the door symbolizes the reopening of the gates of paradise by the sacrifice of our lord full of symbolism of romance and mysticism is the religion of russia full of superstition as people say a statement which cannot be denied but if superstition can make a religion so real so vivid and alive can one blame it very severely for always all day long the churches were open and at whatever hour one went they seemed to be crowded with worshippers come to pray or to place a little yellow candle before the image of a patron saint or wonder-working madonna women with shawls over their heads women in rich furs old women with lined sorrowful work-worn faces young girls radiant and smiling here and there a bearded peasant an officer with a grey overcoat an old man half asleep some children stretching up to place their votive candle and make their little prayer so sure of its being fulfilled because that candle burnt before the holy image that one's heart was stirred to a sudden swift emotion blindly the people still believe in miracles the omnipotence of the saints the power of wonder-working icons to heal their ailments and grant their wishes among the most celebrated of these are the virgin found in kazan in fifteen ninety seven removed to moscow and finally brought to petersburg in seventeen sixty the virgin of latimer in the uspensky cathedral at moscow the virgin of the dawn and the iberian virgin copied from the celebrated picture in the monastery on mount athos a few other icons of saints saint nicholas the wonder-working saint of russia saint george saint helena saint xenia found sometimes through the dreams or visions of monks these icons were looked on with the utmost reverence covered sometimes with jewels and offerings from those who had been granted their prayers now under the excuse of feeding the starving population the bolsheviks have despoiled the churches of all their treasures have broken up the jewelled icons taken away the gold plate the silver-chased cups and chalices ostensibly with the intention of exchanging them for grain and corn to be sent to the famine districts but whether those provisions or that money ever reached the starving people or whether it went to feed the enormous system of propaganda which the bolsheviks have organized all over the world is the question that has often been asked and to which there is never any definite answer 
and yet even the bolshevik government with its limitless power has reason sometimes to fear the wonder-working icon i was told a story a little time ago which shows how the spirit of mysticism still stirs in russia under the rule of tyranny and terror every year on the feast day of st nicholas there had been a procession to the nicholas gate in moscow where the holy image had been miraculously spared when the gate was ruined in napoleon's attempt to blow up the kremlin under the bolsheviks the procession had been stopped but last year the people sent a special petition asking to hold it once more and afraid of rousing a religious outcry the government reluctantly gave their consent and made careful preparations beforehand draping a huge red flag over the gateway thus entirely hiding the holy icon from sight the procession arrived in due course and the religious service began severely watched by the soldiers of the new army on guard all round then suddenly though it was a grey and windless day and not the smallest breeze stirred in the air the great scarlet flag hung over the gateway slowly split from top to bottom falling apart and displaying the icon to the gaze of the amazed and wondering people who fell on their knees while the terrified soldiers broke up in panic it is certain that the bolsheviks are finding the church of russia harder to overthrow than they did the empire it has been and still is the most insurmountable obstacle in their path though they are expending every means in their power to lower and debase it in the eyes of the people with Fedinsky, the head of the church reform using bishop antonin as their instrument they have founded innumerable new sects which seeming to carry out the teachings of the church in reality preach the communist propaganda the living church the free labor church and the russian people's church through these they declare to the people that the bolshevik revolution follows the gospel of christ and those priests who dare speak against them are imprisoned banished or executed without mercy so though originally christianity was introduced into russia without any of the convulsions persecutions or oppressions that marked its birth in other countries it is now passing through its supreme trial and those who know and love russia wonder sometimes whether the faith of the people will emerge triumphantly or whether it will be dragged down by those men who blaspheme in the name of christ when vladimir grand prince of kiev was baptized in the orthodox faith christianity was accepted all over his kingdom and spread with almost miraculous rapidity but with the invasion of the mongolian tartars who were shamamites the church was baptized in fire and sanctified by the blood of martyrs michael of chernigov journeying to the tartar horde to swear fealty to the khan refused to bow his head to the tartar gods or to pass through the sacred fire and was murdered with his companion the boyarin terror michael tver accused of plotting against the tartars voluntarily delivered himself into their hands to save his people from massacre alexander nevskia in his turn journeying to the golden horde resolved to suffer martyrdom rather than abjure his religion was spared the supreme sacrifice but gave his life and his strength in one continual struggle for the security of his people and the freedom of the church roman prince of riazan was tortured and put to death because he refused to embrace the mohammedan faith to which the tartars had been converted many others there were princes and priests who gave their lives while bowed beneath the terrible mongol rule the people clung to the comfort of dim churches and the sweet-faced icons listened compassionately to their prayers 
up till the capture of constantinople by the turks the russian church had been united under the supreme patriarch of that city but in fifteen eighty nine the patriarch job was elected in moscow and up till the death of adrian in seventeen hundred the tsar and the head of the church had equal riches and rights though the tsar was nominally the head of both church and state among the great patriarchs of russia may be cited ermogenes starved to death by the poles because he refused to withdraw his command ordering the people to fight against the invaders Filaret, the father of michael romanov and nikon who instituting new reforms into the church brought to a head the great schism or raskol which gave birth to the sect called the old believers who still exist in russia steadily refusing to acknowledge the new liturgy the famous siege of the monastery of solovets where the monks held out stubbornly for seven years against excommunication and the armies of the tsar the harsh treatment of the old believers their exile their voluntary martyrdom when they built up huge pyres which they set alight with their own hands perishing together in the flames rather than submitting to the tsar's orders all these make one wonder at the stubborn resistance which preferred death to making the sign of the cross with two fingers instead of three or the new way of spelling the name of our lord as j i s u s instead of j e s u s but the tempest of feeling raised throughout the country ended in the abdication of nikon and his successors were colourless figures till finally with the death of adrian in the reign of peter the great the emperor who cared not at all whether the people called him antichrist allowed the post of patriarch to lapse replacing it by the holy synod or ecclesiastical senate which composed of priests and bishops was governed by a procurator who represented the state and was the intermediary between the synod and the emperor then at last during the bolshevik revolution tikhon was elected patriarch and in him the spirit of holy russia seemed to be reborn severely reprimanding the government for the murders committed by their commands remonstrating with them for the blasphemy of their mock religious processions certain that the treasures of the church would be expended in propaganda he demanded that the relief be administered under the church's supervision and was finally forced into retirement and imprisoned a woman who had done heroic work in the bolshevik prisons during the terrible years of nineteen 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 twenty and nineteen twenty one told me a story of him which has remained vividly in my mind forced to leave russia early this year she managed to send word to the patriarch that she felt she could not go away without his blessing and that at such and such an hour she would be outside his prison coming there at the appointed time she knelt in the snow looking up at the small barred window which she knew was that of his cell and presently through the shadows two hands were raised in benediction that was all she saw for the window in the thick wall was too high for the old man to look out but nevertheless that woman went away happier for the blessing given by those two trembling hands there are many other grand figures that pass across the pages of the history of the russian church the metropolitan philip martyred because he refused to give his public blessing to ivan the terrible when the latter entered the church in an unseemly condition hilarion the hermit of the caves near kiev anthony the holy monk who carried on his work and founded the famous lavra monastery the metropolitan platon who sought to curb the madness of the emperor paul father john of kronstadt the metropolitan benjamin 
barbarously executed by the bolsheviks for refusing to sanctify the plundering of the churches and passing among the great figures of holy men there are some sinister and terrible with the power of evil such as rasputin that debauched and drunken peasant a huge tremendously powerful figure dressed nearly always in bright-coloured or finely embroidered silk shirts velvet breeches and high boots of the softest leather a face strange and arresting eyes that probed deeply that compelled that seemed lit with fires not human a voice that for all its untutored commonness could be wonderfully charming so rasputin has been described but who could read or understand the distorted mind the fits of ungovernable passion the moments of transported fervour the reasoning that asserted the right to sin in order to attain the salvation of repentance the necessity of the benediction of love the excesses of sensual passion and drunken intoxication and what was it the mysterious power of this man the force that seemed to emanate from him and subjugated all with whom he came in contact poor women old women young girls women highly bred intellectual and refined seeing in him a holy man and forgetting the common dirty magic indisputably the empress herself was blinded for her he was almost a saint endowed with the mysterious power of relieving and curing the little tsarevich whose health was a constant and continual anxiety and obstinately she refused to listen to the many warnings given her i read a description the other day of some of the receptions held in rasputin's house when crowds of his women devotees gathered together and he danced and sang and raved in a flood of drunken eloquence once in the middle of one of these revelries he was summoned to the telephone to answer a call from the palace at sarsko the message was that the little tsarevich had been tortured all day with an agonizing earache that his temperature was rising and he was tossing feverishly on his bed immediately rasputin breathless perspiring and half intoxicated assumed his grave and compelling voice no no he said alexis has no earache tell him to come and speak to me on the telephone there was silence for a few moments and then rasputin spoke again is that you alucha they tell me you have earache but it is not true it is better now it is quite gone do you understand you will go to bed and sleep because the pain has quite gone away a quarter of an hour later the telephone rang again the little tsarevich had complained of no more pain his temperature had fallen and he was sleeping peacefully can one wonder that the mother clung to a man who could work such miracles that she believed he had been given the divine gift of healing the story of rasputin's murder has been told too often to make it necessary to go over it again but reading it one wonders if one is not back in the days of the old rurik princes of ivan the terrible or boris gudunov so incredible it seems in our modern time shadowed still by a certain mystery done with the highest motive of delivering russia from a poisonous pernicious influence it had alas only the effect of hastening the final catastrophe had not rasputin said if any harm is done to me the russian empire will crumble mysticism mystery the secrets of russia which no man has yet been able to read the shadows that gather in the old cathedrals the eternal melancholy of the chanting of the volga boatmen the low mournfulness that underlies the soldiers songs can one explain it all or reason on the whys and wherefores 
a certain hopeless resignation ingrained in the people's nature a pathetic wistfulness sounding always through even the gayest dance-music while the singing of the church choirs uplifting and transporting yet brings the tears to one's eyes and a sudden aching pain to one's heart whose cause one cannot define the church in the old days looked with disfavour on music condemning it as a frivolous encouragement of passion allowing only the ritual chanting of choirs during religious services or at the performance of mystical plays given in the tsar's palace the first romanovs introduced the playing of lighter music at court peter the great sent students to study music in germany and france elizabeth and catherine encouraged foreign artists of all kinds to come to russia pantomimes operas tragedies and ballets were got up people in society themselves taking part there were performances nearly every night in the theatre of the hermitage public theatres were built in petersburg and french and italian companies were invited to russia and gradually the russian ballet grew into being becoming famous all over the world i remember how soon after our arrival in petersburg we were taken to the marinsky theatre to see a performance of the sleeping beauty knowing nothing at the time of the art of dancing i was more interested i think in the audience than in the performance the four tiers of boxes the dim far-away gallery the huge parterre of stalls where artists musicians young diplomats officers in brilliant uniforms and old bald-headed generals jostled and pushed the royal boxes where some members of the imperial family were always to be seen it was all of entrancing interest and i strongly resented the etiquette that expected one during the long entr'acte to retire into the little cabin-like anteroom at the back of one's box where streams of visitors came to chatter and gossip it was so much more interesting to watch the comings and goings in the stalls the fat ladies of the rich merchant class in the boxes munching chocolates brought to them in brightly beribboned boxes by men with smooth faces and queer-shaped bald heads the young girls with beautifully brushed hair who leant over to smile at the officers down below a few old men grouped together discussing not politics as one might imagine but the technique of some dancers steps shaking their heads mournfully as they agreed that the true classical art of the ballet was deteriorating the big theatre with its decorations of gold and white and blue if i shut my eyes i can almost see it now smell the scent of russian cigarettes of amber and chypre and chocolates that always filled it mingled with the all-pervading faint smell of the heating and of the dust raised by many hundreds of dancing feet the men in court uniforms who unlocked the doors of the boxes the foyer where during the entr'acte crowds gathered for refreshments old men assembling together for a smoke or a drink old ladies sitting together discussing servants and the price of food young couples walking up and down arm in arm able for a time to evade the parental ear on the weekdays operas were performed in the marinsky theatre the special nights for the ballet were sundays or alternate wednesdays and though for the opera one could sit in any part of the house one pleased for the ballet it was considered highly unseemly to sit anywhere but in the first two tiers of boxes the prices for the ballet were also more than double and unless one had one's own box it was almost impossible to get one and abonnements were not always easy to obtain as some of the boxes were hereditary and were passed on from father to son it has been the fashion in england to rave about the russian dancers 
but i wonder how few of the average audiences in london have the slightest conception of the technical qualities of dancing often have i seen them wildly applauding a step that though effective had no real difficulty while some movement that required absolute perfection of balance and training passed unnoticed london has also only seen the light one-act ballets like petrushka carnival or the good-humoured ladies those long old-fashioned three or four-act ballets like the little hunchbacked horse the lac des signes by adair or the daughter of pharaoh would probably bore audiences not knowing the technicalities of ballet dancing but in russia every movement every gesture was known a step just the fraction of a second out of time a pose whose lines were not absolutely in harmony and an icy silence settled over the audience while thunders of applause would greet the execution of a difficult pirouette trained from their early childhood in the imperial ballet school the russian dancers devote their whole lives to their art with a single-hearted enthusiasm and intensity not so easy is it to gain the fleeting lightness that makes them look like bits of thistledown blown across the stage or to attain the iron strength of perfectly trained muscles that is required for those arabesques and relèves it means an unceasing endeavour a never-resting persistence of work hours of strenuous practice every day continual lessons all the time perfection it seems can never be complete and there is always something more to learn to have a few weeks rest is fatal for the highly trained muscles relax very quickly whereas to shirk the daily lesson or class means a certain slackness creeping in movements becoming ragged and unfinished instead of flowing and soft the whole effect being blurred instead of exquisitely clear having for a short time gone to the class of that great old man keschetti who for years was master of the imperial ballet school i have a faint conception of the incessant effort and strain the ages of practice required for a dancer to be graceful and light is not by any means enough every muscle every finger every turn of the head every expression must be studied while even the memory must be trained to grasp and retain the many intricate steps and gestures melody and harmony a poetry that is hard to describe the rhythm of absolutely perfect movement a voiceless expression of passing emotions a haze of shifting colours blending and moving to exquisite beauty that is to me the russian ballet colour is everything even on the dullest most sunless of autumn days that is the spirit of russia the painted dome of some church a mauzhik in a bright green blouse a gypsy woman in a red and orange shawl a winter morning of dazzling blue and white and gold sunsets as namingly incredible as those of some desert picture glowing on the ice-bound river the sapphire-blue darkness of snow-still nights pressing against the windows and then beneath a leaden sky the snow turns to impassable slush the melting ice drips from the roofs and the frozen nevis stirs and mutters in its sleep the golden domes gleam sullenly against the sky a court carriage with a scarlet liveried coachman passes the pink walls of the palace where the mad emperor paul was murdered rise up above the waist of the champ de mars while on the other side of the leafless elms in the alexander garden shine the blue and green and yellow domes of the church which marks the spot where the emperor alexander too fell a victim to a nihilist bomb 
and slowly the opaque dun-coloured clouds lift and pass a soft wind sweet somehow with the scent of violets blows through the slush-drowned streets the ice sighs shivers and suddenly begins to move on the river and with a rushing impact a hiss and roar the great blocks crash against the bridges according to old custom the governor of petersburg sets out in his painted barge with his sixteen rowers to meet the governor of the fortress in mid-river the cannons thunder their tidings that the neva is free from ice bluer than the blue sky the blue waters laugh in the spring sunshine and the trees in the summer gardens burst into leaf with a sudden rush and hurry the wooden green-roofed landing-stages are deposited all down the quays by little black steamers small penny passenger steamers come and go and fussy-looking tugs draw wooden barges painted blue and green where men in coloured shirts sit idly playing the concertina or singing their endless mournful songs the days lengthen into opal-coloured twilight the golden spire of peter and paul glows through the summer nights with the red flame of sunset till the radiance of the sunrise turns it again to gold mysticism the childlike faith in the hearts of the people music that follows one with haunting persistence colours that arrest and thrill and enrapture these are the secret spells russia casts over one's heart with these she holds one and will not let one forget End of chapter 14